0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Impolite Company. I'm your host, Scott Wingeter. We'd like to thank the Dockline Studios once again for making time for us to uh, film at their wonderful location here in Magnolia. Today I have a very special guest, Echo Hudson, who is currently the Chief Prosecutor uh, from Montgomery County District Attorney's Office. She uh, heads up the Domestic Violence Division. Echo is going to be running for County Court at Law, position number four and uh, we are so appreciative to have you on the show today.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is a wonderful space, and this is like really exciting to see the studio.
0: Yeah, we're really excited to have you. Uh, This is something that we're really passionate about. What the the name of the show, Impolite Company, is all about is uh, we discuss things that matter. We discuss the things that are important and the things that you're not supposed to talk about in polite company, so (laughs) politics, religion, all the things that matters. So Mm. let's just jump into it. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what makes you uh, tick?
1: Sure. So my name is Echo Hudson. Um, I have been living and working here in Montgomery County since 2009. Uh, I started here as a prosecutor uh, under elected district attorney, Brett Ligon, and that's what brought me to Montgomery County. And I immediately recognized how much I love it here. I love the people here. It reminds me of the small town where I grew up, Um, just the community. Mm -hmm. um, And I really actually enjoy the politics, which is unusual for a lot of people probably, but um, Montgomery County is so special. So um, as I started working here, I came from um, the El Paso District Attorney's Office. That was my first job prosecuting. Um, And there they have a very specialized, very wide um, ranging program for domestic violence and the elected district attorney over there is Jaime Esparza mm-hmm. um, and he had been in office for quite some time at that point point. and so when he hired me he sat me down and explained all of the things that they did there um, and so when I came to Montgomery County um, under Brett they had started specializing but they had not specialized in that office um, previously so that was one of Brett's goals for that office um, so, they kept asking, you know, who's interested in what? And simply because I had a little bit of that background and, and understanding from El Paso County, mm-hmm. um, in 2011, they sent out this list of like, here's all the grants and here's all the things. Anyone that's interested, let us know. So, I sent an email and I was like, hey, um, you know, I have a little bit of domestic violence background here. I know a little bit about their specialty court, and we don't have one. We are not doing well in our cases. Mm-hmm. Um, we ran the stats at that point. And routinely, we were dismissing more than half of our filed cases, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a terrible, terrible conviction rate on any other type of case. It was much, much higher. Um, And you know, this county is very um, aggressive in prosecuting crimes. And so to see that particular type of offense with such a low success rate, um, we were really letting a ball drop there. Mm -hmm. So I went ahead and applied for that grant. um, And it... Uh, we got the we got the grant, and I became the first specialized domestic violence prosecutor in the county. Started the whole ball rolling for the next 10 years. Um, we saw incredible success in that court, which I'm sure we'll go into mm-hmm. in depth here. But that's really become my professional area of expertise. So awesome. as a prosecutor, I am the domestic violence chief, um, and that is really where I've come to now. So the reason um, that's important, I guess, for our conversation, running for county court at law number four, that is where that domestic violence court is that we created, that special court. Um, And so with Judge Marianne Turner retiring from Mm -hmm. county court four, she's been the first judge on that bench, the only judge on that bench. It's been uh, 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm going to run for that position. I know it intimately from the inside out. Um, I help run the dockets from the prosecution side. So for me, that's really a special place. Um, I wouldn't be running for office if it weren't for County
0: court Four. right where did you what did you get your undergraduate degree in and where did you go to law school
1: okay so undergraduate i actually went to university of alaska anchorage wow yes (laughs) which um i lived in alaska so i grew up in washington state in a very small town um, called Walla Walla, Washington, on the eastern I've side. I've heard of it. Yes. Yeah. And so, Old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Yes. yes. And <laughs> Echo from Walla Walla it has been a longstanding joke. Um, but yes, Echo from Walla Walla it's actually makes it easier to remember my hometown. Um, so anyway, so uh, the Pacific Northwest is very connected to Alaska. So mm-hmm. I went up there, um, did my undergrad in um, justice and minored in philosophy. I got my paralegal degree um and then um I honored in statistical analysis of mm-hmm. all things who knew I liked statistics but I loved them <laughs> <laughs> so um and then I decided to go to law school and there's no law school in Alaska so I was working at the US attorney's office there as a uh, legal assistant okay. um an admin legal assistant there had a great opportunity to intern which is actually what turned me to prosecution there's mm-hmm. a really great story there um, and then, so I decided to apply for law school, found a really great conservative law school, George Mason mm-hmm. University mm-hmm. over in the DC Beltway, which of all places you wouldn't think you'd find a conservative law school there, but I did.
0: I love um, George Mason as a historical <laughs> yeah, figure. Yeah. And yeah. you know
1: what? It's now named, um, Antonin Scalia Law School. Nice. Um, after he passed, he was one of the, um, professors that would come in and teach at that school. We had That's a lot great. of really great justices come in and teach us. And so... Um. yeah, it was a great tribute to him. So that's where I went to law school. DC awesome. D.C. Beltway, lived in Arlington, Virginia, and then came straight to Texas after that.
0: Nice. Well, welcome to Texas. Thank you. Thank I, you. I love I, it here. I got here as fast as I could, too, so.
1: <laughs> I know. People always say that. And I think that, um, I think for me, it was more like God knew where he was sending me. Yeah. And he had to prepare me along the way. But man, I was ready when I came to Texas.
0: So you touched on um, your I love that your undergrad was in the study of justice and philosophy. Yes. And so yeah. that works perfectly into my next question. <laughs> right. In a nutshell, tell me about your judicial philosophy.
1: My judicial philosophy. So man, you know, as a I haven't been a judge yet, mm-hmm. um, but as a prosecutor, I think having worked in the in the judicial system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um It's really important that when you have the ability to do something or the power to do something or the authority Mm -hmm. to do something that you are careful and you are you are very thoughtful and you are purposeful about how you act. Uh, My litmus test has always been. You know, if this were brought into the light, if this went public in the media, or if this were something that all eyes were on this, even though everything I do is, you know, a pending investigation is not publicly available, I Mm -hmm. can't discuss it, or grand jury is not something that is ever released, you know, unless Mm -hmm. by court order. um, But that if it were, that it would hold the same um, level of integrity for Mm -hmm. me. And so to me, integrity matters. It is in every decision that I make. And that has really become kind of the bedrock principle for me is there are oftentimes, you know, the definition of integrity or one of them is doing the right thing even when no one knows Mm -hmm. or when no one can see. Yes. Um, And for me, that's a very real thing every day. No one can see, Mm -hmm. but I'm still being held to that standard. And so um, for me, that's just a definition that I live my entire life by when I go home nobody sees but i still want to live the same way right? that's excellent
0: yeah um so let's real quick get into the law and okay. uh trying to understand some things here okay. um you know i'm a i'm a history teacher and i try to bring law in as much as i can and as often as i can for my students uh because i feel like that's something that educators uh in middle school and high school which i teach both um, they don't do that and hmm. you know oftentimes the first real experience in understanding law is in college for a lot of folks. And that's, I think a huge gap that we need to fix. So, you know, I, I explained to my students, you know, the different, the three different levels of law, you know, you have felonies, misdemeanors and citations. Okay. Um, when you are going to be, well, Ideally, elected as judge, right? Yes. Uh, for county court law four. Um, are you dealing with uh, felonies and misdemeanors? Uh, what does that court specifically deal with?
1: Okay, so... Felonies, misdemeanors, citations, um, I guess if we were going to go in order from least to most, it's citation, Mm -hmm. misdemeanor, felony. Yes. Um, Those are the criminal aspect of the law. Sure. So there's the whole civil and family and Mm -hmm. IP and all the other types of law. Um, But if we're going to deal with just criminal, um, and that is Montgomery County Court has been designated as a criminal court. Mm -hmm. All of our county courts at law, they're countywide positions, um, so they're created for the purpose of general jurisdiction, which means that I would have the ability to handle any type of case um, okay. within okay. the within the parameters of you know, civil cases up to a certain amount of money changes sometimes with, um, the legislature giving us different types of jurisdiction, but Mm -hmm. I would have the authority to do all of that. Um, but because the court has been designated as criminal, Mm -hmm. um, we again go to the, um, jurisdiction that I would have over that. And that is the misdemeanor. So citations are, you can be arrested, but there's really no jail time associated. Mm -hmm. It's a traffic ticket, um, type you know up yeah. to five hundred dollars fine, and that goes to the either a municipal city court or it goes to a JP right. justice of the peace. Mm-hmm. Um, misdemeanors in Texas are class A and class B. A class B is the is the lower. Mm-hmm. Um, it is between. Um, zero days in jail and up to six months in jail, Okay. up to a $2,000 fine. That's the range of punishment, up to two years probation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a class A misdemeanor is zero days to one year in jail, and it's county jail. Montgomery County Jail is what we're dealing with here. Um, And that class A misdemeanor up to $4,000 fine, and again, up to two years probation. So that would be the level of offense that we're dealing with. Uh, the felony courts in Texas, and every state calls them something different. There's like superior court mm-hmm. and you know all of these things. So we district have- District court. District yeah. court, yes. which is the mm-hmm. highest level of trial jurisdiction in Texas. Those um, those hear the felony level offenses.
0: That's when you're facing a little bit more serious time. There, yeah,
1: right? that's <laughs> looking at Texas Department of Corrections, TDC, Prison Times. So yeah, that's that's that level of, of no, offense. There.
0: No bueno. Yes. No
1: bueno, all the way up to capital murder in those courts.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so I love the way that we do things here in Texas uh, with the specialized court. I, Me too. I think that it's been really effective as, as you've yeah. noted. Yeah. Um, could you explain the process of how that happened? How sure. we went from just a generalized court to having that specialized courtroom.
1: Yeah, and so having honored and statistical analysis, like some of those things are much more fascinating to me, I think, yeah. than a lot of people, <laughs> um, but it is fascinating. So when I started in 2009 here in Montgomery County, they had not yet specialized. Um, so we would go to, let's stick with the county courts, it was for all the courts, um, but we would go to county court, mm-hmm. and as prosecutors, we would have our docket, we would have our, you know, 1,600 case load of active cases or whatever it is on our docket that we would routinely be coming to handle and try to move and cases are getting dismissed or cases are getting disposed. We go to trial and the new cases are constantly being filed. So it's like this moving target of our backlog, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we would have one week of criminal out of the month and then we would have a week of civil cases being heard in the court, and then a week of family law. Mm -hmm. And that was your week. If you had a civil case, that was the week that your case would be set for trial. Okay. Well, if you can only try one case, then you're really only getting 12 bites at the apple throughout the entire year. Mm -hmm. And if the cases in front of you go and your case is not as old as the others, you were at the bottom of the list, you could wait years for a trial. So Mm -hmm. at that point you know, um, our domestic violence cases up to two years for waiting for a trial. Yeah. And then you
0: have all the fun tricks like, Oh, your honor, can we get a continuance for next month? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's,
1: you know, and you only go to docket maybe once or you know, a month. And so you really are. And all of your criminal cases were heard in that one week. So Mm -hmm. we would try you know, multiple cases in a week as prosecutors, but we would have 50 cases set for trial. And it was like number 18 and number 24, you guys are up, you know, and so mm-hmm. we would be prepared for all of this. Right. Um, so what they did, and I'm not, I was not intimately familiar with the process, mm-hmm. um, but what they did is they did an office of court administration, which kind of rules over all the courts and oh. just kind of keeps all the administrative stuff mm-hmm. going in Texas. Um, they did a study. And they looked at Montgomery County in particular, Mm -hmm. and they found that when we moved to specialized divisions and specialized dockets, um, that the courts were able to hear all of those cases week after week after week. So Mm -hmm. if you needed to come in on an off-docket or you needed to get an accelerated trial, you had four weeks all of, you know, the whole month, and then every month, the whole year. And so that really just was able for that judge to be able to keep track and to keep cases moving and the dockets moving. Mm -hmm. Um, And it made a huge difference statistically in how our backlogs were. Awesome. So in the meantime, you know, Montgomery County is just growing and growing and growing. I think it's 30% in the last 10 years um, increase in population here. And so what we've been able to do is keep the same amount of courts, Mm -hmm. um, but still move our cases through. Awesome. So yeah, it's been very significant and I watched it happen, you know, personally from my perspective from the inside. So I'm I'm all for it.
0: That's great. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So explain to me what the domestic violence court does. And you know how how all that works, like you know. Let's go into the actual specialization now of a county court of law number four.
1: Okay, so county court of law number four is actually split. So there's that specialized docket, but then it still has the general jurisdiction, Mm -hmm. um, and it handles general criminal cases as well. So Mm -hmm. um, the the domestic violence cases are heard separately on their own docket. Um, every two or three weeks we have a special docket for those cases. And then in the meantime, they're still having jury trials and, and, um, cases on the regular criminal docket. So as judge of that court, I would continue with that. I think that works very well. So the domestic violence court, what we did is we took what we had, we Mm -hmm. studied it and we decided, What are the national best practices? What are the um, up-and-coming practices as far as moving our cases through? What do we want to do differently to try to increase our success rate in this court? And then what does success mean, Mm -hmm. right? So there's many levels of success. Um, And so what we started with were accelerated dockets. So instead of two years, we went to six weeks. Um, From the time a case was arrested or filed to trial was six weeks.
0: That's huge. <laughs> Very yeah.
1: huge, and it, and we tried every single case on the trial docket. Every so it was one week of docket, one week of trial, and you had six weeks to get yourself ready. So mm-hmm. I had to figure out how do we get all our evidence from the agencies. Mm-hmm. But the reason for that, really, and it comes down to the psychology and mm-hmm. it comes down to the philosophy of it, um, is that victims of domestic violence don't act on the same spectrum as a normal person who's not been affected by domestic violence right so mm-hmm. they are they're experiencing trauma in right. their life right and their decision making factors are different than somebody who's not experiencing trauma. Mm -hmm. And we've learned in the last 10 years or so that trauma affects the brain. It affects children's brains, how they develop permanently. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also affects adult brains. And it can change your decision-making for the rest of your life if you experience severe trauma, and Mm -hmm. especially on an ongoing basis. Um, So in recognizing that, we knew that we had to treat these cases differently for the victims. Mm -hmm. Really, we want to keep people alive. Yes, that's... Right? <laughs> Domestic violence <laughs> yes. is repeating and it is escalating. And so we know that once there is physical violence in an intimate partner relationship, mm-hmm. um, we know that it is statistically likely that it's going to repeat at some point, And then every time it repeats, it is likely to escalate. So what we're dealing with is we don't know how much time we have to intervene. We don't know how much time we have to try to address it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it escalates so quickly that we get one shot. Oh man. Right, Um, and then other times you know, we can address it and those people take counseling and they they deal with what happens in their relationship and what has caused the violence and then we never see them again, which hopefully is success. Right, right? yes. Um, So what we did is the first thing we recognize is our victims are different Mm -hmm. than other cases, like a theft case or something like that, right? Um, And those victims don't generally want to be involved in the criminal justice process. Mm. So the more quickly we can get a case to trial, The better it is for that victim the better it is for that offender um and the better it is to keep people alive sure (laughs) right which is one of the things um so we did accelerated dockets we did trauma informed care we wanted to reach out to our victims within 24 hours to 72 hours of an offense Mm -hmm. instead of waiting or never talking to that victim the sooner you reach them and the sooner you offer services education as to safety planning, Mm -hmm. um, the ability to leave the relationship if they're ready, relocation, those types of things. Yeah. Um, We wanted to do that too. So we brought in advocate advocates. Mm -hmm. um, And so we had a collaboration with the Montgomery County Women's Center. So we kind of changed how we do everything. The other side of it is, is I Decided that we needed to teach our law enforcement and train mm. them as mm-hmm. to these issues, trauma-informed yes. uh, domestic violence investigation, how to improve their investigation. So we kind of did a whole overhaul of of the system. Yeah, um, we decided instead of victim-led prosecution, which is asking a victim, "Do you want to press charges? Do you want this person to be mm-hmm. convicted?" Um, really, there's there's no element of that in a criminal case. Yes, it's the state of Texas versus that offender. So if we have probable cause, we should move forward right. in evaluating it. If a crime mm-hmm.
0: occurred, then you know you yes. should pursue that.
1: Yes, and you know sometimes justice is not seeking conviction. That's one of our things is that justice is not seeking conviction in every case, but it is evaluating when a crime has occurred yes. into a proper outcome. So it must be case-by-case case basis. So we changed from victim-led prosecution to evidence-based practices, which is if the evidence supports probable cause with enough to take it to trial, and we believe that that is going to be repeating and escalating violence, mm-hmm. then the state has a duty to protect the victim in a family violence case. It's a statutory duty. That,
0: well, right. I mean, it's a natural law um, you Makes know, pop, absolute common huge, sense, yes, right? Exactly. I mean, but <laughs> right. that, uh, that goes back right down to the founding of our of our country. You mm-hmm. know, uh, Jefferson writes in the Declaration. You know, everybody can say we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, no right. by their Creator of certain unalienable rights. But it's the sentence afterwards that, in order to secure these rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, governments yes. are instituted among men. Uh, driving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Yes. And that's the very purpose of government is to protect the rights of the individual.
1: Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of what we decided to do is is implement some different practices. And we looked at everything that was going on. We looked at some of the options we had, and we decided... We're going to handle these cases completely differently, mm-hmm. um, and it was an incredible success. So the first year at trial, I tried because we were doing so many trials so mm-hmm. often, and this was actually one of the first um, courts to specialize at ever, yeah, um, and especially to have a specialized docket. So we had to get the agreement of all the judges at that point. That was really really difficult. They did not want to give up their domestic violence cases sure. to another judge. Um, but the success rate was, I mean, we had a hundred percent success rate at trial the first year. Wow. Yeah. And that's unheard of. (laughs) It absolutely was. And it was shocking because, you know, even doing it now, we've been successful for 10 years at this and I still walk into court and it's hard to see the forest for the trees because victims don't want to prosecute. They don't want to be there. They don't, they're scared and they run. And you're often asking for a conviction when you're, you know, you're, you're, worried that something's going to happen, but that victim is like, you know, don't convict this person. I love Mm -hmm. them. And, (laughs) you know, and so, um, stepping back from it and looking at it with such success has been really incredible to see, you know, just a long-term program that works. And so, um, our conviction rate per defendant, um, which means we get a conviction of that, of some sort on that defendant, um, for our misdemeanor courts has stayed close to 90% every year. Awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's an awesome record. It is. And it's, it's successful. Um, and, and I, I, even when I say it, every time I say it, I'm like, wow, that's so cool that we did that, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's just a collaborative effort. Right. It wasn't just me. Um, you sure. know, we, we implemented multidisciplinary teams. We've brought in the collaboration of law enforcement and our victim advocates and all of our, um, organizations that are um, victim-oriented in the community, and we've brought in the medical professions, mm-hmm. um, and we've all worked for the same, same goal, which is to support the victim while we prosecute the abuser. Well,
0: and it's such a rare thing to see in government, um, whether yeah. it's federal or state or even the local, honestly, yeah. oftentimes, is to see, you know, the government actually pick something up and touch it and like, you know, not have the opposite of whatever the Midas touches
1: bureaucracy that slows it down until it slowly dies. (laughs) Yeah. The C effective (laughs)
0: government is just astounding. So congratulations on that. Thank you.
1: I think part of that is just due to the size of this County, even though it's growing, it's a small, Mm -hmm. it's a small County. Um, You know, I've had the absolute support of my boss, Brett Ligon. Um, I've had the absolute support of the judges Mm -hmm. that are there, um, in the courthouse, both felony and misdemeanor. We have a felony docket now too. Mm -hmm. Um, and I run that, I run the entire team. Um, I've had the support of the constables and, um, the sheriff. Mm -hmm. And so with all of that, you know, when I make a phone call and I'm like, Hey, I need to implement something new. This isn't working. You know, you get, you get to the right place and you, you're heard. And, um, I think that that willingness to collaborate and try something different yeah you know you don't see that everywhere right you certainly don't see that down south sure Uh, right yeah but it's a a team mentality absolutely that's awesome it's it's for the right for the right reason right domestic violence is important so
0: absolutely um so you had mentioned to me um when uh, i asked you to come on the show that Mm -hmm. you there was a recent uh, study in a law journal regarding your efforts here. Yes. Did you want to talk about that? Yes.
1: So it's been released um, and it's looking at publication right now in peer reviewed journals. Um, But I'm able to talk about it. I have a copy of the redacted study if you ever need to look at it. That'd be Um, great. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So, um, Sam Houston State University came to us a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Ling Ren, okay. who works in the criminology um, mm. department, and she loves to study criminal justice. And so uh, she came to our division and she said, um, I'd like to do a study of your office. And what do you think? And Brett Legan was like, well, it's been 10 years since I've been in office. I think that was 2019 when she came to us. Yeah. Um, and he said, what do you think of domestic violence? You want to look at that? And she was like, sure. So, I mean, I took her around and showed her what we did and took her to court and she got to do all sorts of things, but she did a deep dive, mm-hmm. um, statistically into our division and all of those things that we premised our success on, hmm. um, whether we've gotten batters intervention, prevention counseling for a defendant, whether yeah. we dismiss a case or not, it, we keep track of that. We want to know that we are addressing the violence Mm -hmm. whether we can prove the case or not if we believe violence has happened we ask for counseling um and that was a really big thing it's called BIP for dismissal Um, and so even on our dismissed cases we ask for something to address the violence Um, so we wanted her to check on that and then we asked her to look at our conviction rate compared to our courts in Montgomery County that aren't specialized Mm -hmm. Um, and then we asked her to compare it to other courts around the country. Um, And then we also asked her to look at the length of time that our cases are taking to see how that um, is compared to other courts. Mm -hmm. She probably did, I think she started with upwards of 30 different factors. We narrowed it down to probably the most um, germane Mm -hmm. um, factors as to what we define as success in this court. And she compared them, and um, it took her a couple of years to get through it As any good study, you do. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, it's a good thing I had a background in statistics because she would send me all these tables and things. I'd be like, oh, man, you need to change this variable, and you need to, you know, like. (laughs) And so she was so fantastic, and she's so detail-oriented. I just loved it. Um, But it was released in December of 2021, Mm -hmm. so it's brand new. And, um, what she found is that our court is among the national high performers in the country. Bravo. She found, thank you. (laughs) I mean, and that's kind of why I keep thinking like, wow, it's so surprising. You know, what we created just doing the best we could has suddenly become like a model for other courts. That's awesome. Yeah. So she compared it. I think she found a hundred different plus, a hundred plus different, um, Domestic violence specialty dockets around the country. She compared it to the UK and Australia Mm. Um, and our court and our conviction rate and our ability to move cases is just at the very top. So it has um, really come out as kind of a national um, example Mm -hmm. of how to handle this type of case. That's
0: fantastic to hear. Yeah. yeah, Congratulations. It's it's so
1: exciting. Like I just, I can't stop thinking about how exciting that is.
0: So. If you are uh, elected to the uh, position, mm-hmm. what does Echo Hudson's court look like?
1: So you know, I've had the I've had the opportunity to be the chief prosecutor of every. County Court of Law. Even Mm -hmm. the ones that specialized, before they specialized, I was the chief there um, for a while. So I got to see all of the dockets run. Mm -hmm. Every judge kind of gets to set their own docket scheduling order. How Mm -hmm. do they want their cases handled? How many settings before we get to a trial setting? How many, you know, continuances? How many, you know, how many days between those settings? Um, All of that. And I've seen it in both the felony courts. I've been in all the felony district courts. Um, So I think for me personally, the examples that I really take from, first of all, Marianne Turner has done an excellent job with the domestic violence court. Mm -hmm. It actually started, that court started in County Court 2 under Claudia Laird. That was the six weeks. Um, When Marianne Turner took it over, she moved it out, and I think it's an average closer to six months now. Um, I would like to continue an accelerated docket for those cases. I think due process is incredibly important, Mm -hmm. Um, and so we wanna make sure that the state is able to have the evidence ready for trial in a timely manner. We want to protect the defendant's rights to a speedy trial, so Mm -hmm. I think less than six months is, um, is a good time, and I would probably shorten it up just a little bit. I think six weeks is a lot, For both sides the defense and the state struggled to keep that particular um timeline yeah so i think a little bit longer than that um yeah there's
0: a lot of pressure on both sides to gather all the evidence oh my goodness yeah yeah
1: Yeah. and we would try two or three cases in a week and Mm -hmm. yeah it was it was a lot it was successful but it was a lot and we've maintained success without you know quite that time frame um so i think that in a misdemeanor court i think that's important and if you extend that to other cases um, I, you know, I, have done all the DWI cases as mm-hmm. a prosecutor, all the, all the thefts, all of the criminal trespasses, all of the things that you see in, in misdemeanor court, I've handled them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I think is clear expectations when a case is filed, these are the settings. This is the trial setting. You should know about it now. Um, you know, it's four months away. Mm-hmm. And that, you know. Yes. So that both parties are prepared, so that the defendant is prepared, the state knows their deadlines. Um, and You're I, not playing
0: the continuance game. Correct. Well, yes.
1: so, and, and I know judges get a lot of that. Oh, you're allowing continuances. Mm-hmm. Um, the Code of Criminal Procedure has certain circumstances where continuances are, you um, not really discretionary on the court. Shall be there, granted. Yes. yes. And mm-hmm. then there's others which it is discretionary. So really when we're talking about not giving continuances, mm-hmm. it has to go to those discretionary ones. Right. Um but being kind and being fair and giving due process is also important. So those are principles. Absolutely. Yes. So we don't want to sacrifice due process on the altar of uh, you know, accelerated dockets. So right. there's a balance there.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So I want to get into um, this idea of your undergraduate degree. Um, And (laughs) this is where I can nerd out because I'm not a lawyer, but I I am a historian and uh, intellectual history is uh, in my wheelhouse, uh, which is the history of ideas. And uh, I always bring a book with me uh, for my shows. And and today I'd like to highlight uh, Six Great Ideas by Mortimer J. Adler. Um okay. Mortimer J Adler was a, a a philosopher who actually ended up teaching at the um f- law school uh he was on the faculty for the um University of Chicago okay. not as a lawyer but as a philosopher okay. which is really cool. Yeah. Uh the the greatest thing that he's ever done um uh, probably his life achievement was uh he wrote um It's called the great books of the Western world series by uh, Britannica. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he took the, everything from the Iliad and the Odyssey all the way through Freud, everything that you'd pick up in like a Western Civ course in college. And he put all those together and, uh, he had ideas, uh, big ideas, great ideas that led that whole discussion. Um, and, uh, he wrote this book kind of as an addendum to, to that idea, uh, and it's called Six Great Ideas, and it talks about, um, this is the lens in which I try to teach my students to view the world, is truth, beauty, and goodness, and that's a very classical uh, yes. idea. Yes. The other three ideas in the book are um, liberty, equality, and justice. So the way this works is he deals with truth, beauty, and goodness first, and they have this relationship that works together. Um, every, everything that's true is beautiful. Everything that's beautiful is good. Everything that's good is true okay. and vice versa. Okay. So they They're are, all
1: it, interrelated and connected. Yes. yes. Okay.
0: With When you get down to the other three ideas, you have liberty and equality that are standing in opposition to one another. Too much liberty, you have no equality. Too much equality, you have no liberty. What is the um, balance between those two ideas is justice, which is dependent upon its definition uh, from goodness, which of course is dependent upon its yeah. definition from beauty and truth. Yeah. So
1: What a what a lovely viewpoint. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. Th- I highly recommend this book. It's yeah. really awesome. But I'd like to go into your understanding of justice how important it is what its definition is and Mm uh you know how you pursue that both from uh, a prosecutor's perspective and then you know how do you uh think you're going to be viewing justice um potentially as a judge
1: wow so you know justice is an oath that i've taken and Mm -hmm. i've lived the last you know however many years of my life pursuing um, and so that really is, I, I think it's, it's really beautiful to talk about equality and liberty and then justice kind of stands as the, it's almost like the scales of yes, justice exactly. that are weighing them constantly to make sure that they're level. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you think of the concept of lady justice,
0: which um, I've noticed is on your campaign. Every signs. single one. And yeah. there's a
1: reason for that. She mm-hmm. stands for truth and beauty in the law. Um, mm-hmm. she stands for equality in the law. Um, she actually stands for morality in the law. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that the law, it is supposed to be in so many people's minds. It is black and it's white and it's, and it's harsh. Mm -hmm. Um, it can protect, but it can be a sword, right? And so it's so many different facets. Um, and so I absolutely have lady justice in all of those, because if we don't bring morality, with us, Mm -hmm. we don't make good decisions. That's right. Right? You have to have some groundwork for you to make good decisions. And and really, when you're you're looking at who you want behind the bench and who you want making decisions, you want somebody whose morality gives them that grounding. Yes, absolutely. To make those decisions, right? Somebody that you trust. Um, And so that's really been important for me. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because no one else has even... Picked up on that little detail that in every everything I do, I have Lady Justice. Yes. Well, leave
0: it to the classical schools headmaster <laughs> so to, impressed to, right to bring that up.
1: Absolutely, but that was very purposeful. That symbolism yeah. to me is is incredibly important. Um, but it's you know it's not one of those things that you just broadcast out there. So right. Um, okay. So back to your question as to justice. So my oath as a prosecutor mm-hmm. is to see that justice is done. Yes. Right. And not to seek a conviction in every case, but to see that justice is
0: done. And we don't see that all the time in, um, in cases. Uh, I'm thinking of like specifically my opinion, uh, like the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, that, that prosecutor, in my opinion, he wanted a conviction no matter what. And his job, as you said, was to go after justice.
1: Right. And, and I think when you do that, you lose that perspective, Mm -hmm. um, you lose the ability to be fair-minded, and um, and and I don't want to I don't want to cast dispersion on anyone in particular here. Sure. That I do see your example, um, but you know, and it's hard as a prosecutor when everyone thinks from the outside you're doing something, mm-hmm. um, and here's your outside actions, and here's what publicly available information. But on the inside, you know. Um, a lot more information. And mm-hmm. even when you try a case, the jury doesn't get to hear all of the evidence. It's sure. only what is good, reliable evidence that comes in through a balancing, um, mm-hmm. you know, 403 is the rule of evidence that balances whether it's relevant. And is it reliable? And is it good evidence? Because mm-hmm. if it isn't, it doesn't come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so prosecutors really have to balance that themselves. And there's there's so much that goes on. Um, But for me, you know, justice in every case should look differently because Mm -hmm. when I look at you, you're a person who was raised in your own individual way. You have your own individual viewpoint on life. You've made your own individual acts and decisions and there's consequences for your acts, whether good or bad. Mm -hmm. Um, We've all done that. And so to take. Each person, and just put a label on them, and say, "Well, you're this type of person, or you're a bad person, or you're a good person in a bad circumstance." Or, you know, I think that that is not justice. Sure. So for me, it really must be a case by case basis where you really have to get into understanding what goes on. And I think maybe that's why domestic violence fits Mm -hmm. with my philosophy on on the criminal justice system Mm -hmm. um, is because every relationship that we handle is different. How we got to where we got is different, sure. right? And even though we're ending up with maybe the same criminal charge, the offense is never the same. How it happened, the manner it mm-hmm. means, it's never the same. It never, it never was created equally. Um, and so to balance that, you must look at it individually. And there's really no other way to achieve justice than to look at it and make the best decision you can with the facts and information that you have at the time. And that can be hard sure. on your psyche later when you're like, did I make the best decision? Well, it was the best decision I could make at the time.
0: That reminds me so much of, you know, now I'm geeking out here, um, bringing up like uh, Aristotle's Nick and Ethics. He deals a lot with yes. that.
1: And, like, and when you uh, you started talking about um, the book that and the uh, Sixth Great Ideas, I heard a lot of that Yes. ancient Greek ideology in there. Right. Yeah. Praxis. Yeah. The practical knowledge. Absolutely.
0: Is, like, philosophic knowledge or philosophic wisdom. You know, that's easy. We pick up a book, we open it up and we start reading it, and we get it. Right. But that... There's so many moving parts. It would be like, you know, I'm not obviously not a Swiss watchmaker. You know, if I take a hammer to a watch and try to put it back together, it's going to take me, you know, a couple go-arounds to get it right, you know, and that's life. Yeah, not to
1: mention all the bent pieces that won't go back straight. That's right. (laughs) So, yeah, absolutely.
0: But how much more difficult is that, you know, when you're dealing with literally, you know, people's uh, livelihood, their liberty, um, you know, and their you know, everything that they hold dear in life, you know, they could be facing, you know, like you said, jail time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's a a big responsibility that we we put on people like you. So thank you for stepping up and doing that.
1: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And I think that, you know, the longer you do it, the more you kind of see the the long-term ramifications of things. And, you know, there's studies out there too. And again, it goes back to me and my studies, but, um, you know, about domestic violence offenders and what is likely to be successful for a certain type of situation. Mm-hmm. And it's it's easy to want to put labels on something and say, well, this is a, a family-only type of batterer or this is a you know dysphoric type of batterer and these are, you know, and put that label. And often labels help us kind of put somebody into a general viewpoint, mm-hmm. but you still have to look at that person and say, you know, if I send you to jail and you have a wife and you have four kids and you're gonna lose your job And, you know, if I send you to jail for a year and you come back out and your wife is still there Mm -hmm. and she's waiting for you and you've now lost your job and your livelihood and your children are homeless because there's no um, income because you were the sole income earner in Mm -hmm. that house. And you're angry because of what happened because your wife is the one that called law enforcement or maybe your oldest child called law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And you're angry, and you're a batterer, and you go to jail, and you've had no intervention in your, um, you know, anger issues, Mm -hmm. and you go right back into that home, what have I as a prosecutor done to that family in that situation? I've actually increased the likelihood that there will be violence in that home. Right. And I've increased the victimizing Mm -hmm. of those children. And so those types of situations, you really have to look at what is justice in this case? What is the right thing that addresses what got us here, but Mm -hmm. doesn't actually create more of a problem, Mm -hmm. right? It's not black and white. Jail time does not always answer the problem.
0: Right. Getting people counseling, learning how to handle your anger, learning how to handle stressful situations. You know, I I would imagine that would be key.
1: If we think that that person is going to take it, internalize it and change their behavior, then yes, we want to give them that opportunity.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: But if we don't think it's going to change the behavior and all we have is the ability to separate that abuser from you know the person that they're victimizing then sometimes jail time is the answer right like it has to be a case-by-case basis right yeah.
0: so we have these universal principles that guide us but not everything's a universal Correct. there is you know the particular um,
1: humans are mm-hmm. not universal no
0: <laughs> but but justice as an idea overall is because yes. of its definition which is predicated on the, our definition and understanding of goodness which is yes related to truth yeah. um and so it's really, I'm, I'm sure, difficult to to navigate those waters, and you know, decide what way to go in these in these situations. And mm-hmm. like you said, it has to be, I, I'd imagine, a case by case basis, and each situation is unique, and yeah. you have to make the best decision possible with the information that you have. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So, it seems to me, um, you know, and I'm just one man. Um, <laughs> but it seems to me like you were almost created for this job.
1: You know, I almost didn't become a prosecutor. Yeah. Um, when I started looking at going to law school, um, I was looking at contracts law and civil law and I actually said, Oh, I don't think I could ever be responsible for making a decision in someone else's life. Mm -hmm. And, and I was working as a, a legal, um, assistant or a legal admin in, um, the U S attorney's office. I was an undergrad mm-hmm. and I knew I wanted to go to law school. And so I was, you know, I was working three jobs during undergrad and I was, that was my main job. And, uh, I had started working there so I could kind of experience what the law was about and what do lawyers do and what's yeah. the law office like. And, that was your
0: substitute teaching job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely.
1: So, you know, and then in order to graduate, um, with my paralegal, um, certificate, um, they had us do a uh, an internship. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I interned at my office and um, I had a mentor there who uh, his name is Thomas Bradley and he was the chief of the tax division over in the criminal side. Um, And he kept telling me, you are a natural-born prosecutor. You need to go to law school and be a prosecutor. This is something you were born to do. And I was like, oh, no. Mm -hmm. You know, I could never be that responsible for someone else's life and their, you know, their livelihood or whatever. And uh, he said, well, if you want to intern, I have a cold case that we need to solve, and I'd like your help on it. And I said, okay. So, uh, of course, I'm going to say okay, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And at that time... Um, there was a young lady named Bethany Corriera and, um, she had gone missing. It was about nine months after she had gone missing by the time I came in to the case. Um, and she, um, she had moved to Anchorage, Alaska to go to school, same school I was going to, University of Alaska, Anchorage. And, um, within a couple of days she disappeared. And her mom came down to help her go shopping for school, mm-hmm. um, to furnish her apartment. She had come from a little town in um, about four hours north of Anchorage in Talkina. And this was 2000, I want to say this would have been like 2004 area. Mm-hmm. Um, I graduated in 2005, so this was about that time. Um, and so, you know, cell phones and cell towers and all that. The mm-hmm. technology was not the same as it is now. Um, but when they came to me and said, we think we know who did this, we need to kind of break the case open and we'd like you to do some research into whether we can get federal charges. Cause I was at the federal prosecutor's office, uh-huh. um, on this case. And so I started looking into our main suspects and, um, we found that one of them, there were two brothers that we thought were maybe in, involved in this in, um, disappearance, um, that one had lied on a federal application to get preferred status for a, um, um, all state preferred. They, they basically, these two brothers, uh, Michael and David Lawson were their names. They, mm-hmm. um, they went around and they had all state referrals to go and clean people's houses after a natural disaster, such as flooding or okay. a fire or something like that. They would go in and they would be the, the mm-hmm. insurance company's um, sure. preferred status. And so we knew that Michael Lawson had been helping, Um, the owner of the apartment complex where Bethany had moved in, um, during the weekend that she disappeared Mm -hmm. and that he had kind of been in the area, but they had a very strong alibi, the two brothers. And so we started looking at them and we thought that based on cell tower records, they were not at home. Like they said, they were Ah. watching the game, but they had gone north out of town that day. Um, and so we needed to kind of break it open and get some information from them. So I found these fraud charges and um, Tom Bradley my, my mentor took them to the grand jury. We got the um, indictment and then we went and arrested them on the fraud charges and mm. started, you know,
0: digging uh, from there yeah. Digging
1: from there and um, David Lawson the, the brother um, ended up admitting to what happened. He said that Michael called him and said he was at the apartment complex. He had agreed to have Bethany kind of clean the apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that way she would get money off her rent. And so he met her that morning and apparently he attacked her, tried to rape her. She fought back. He ended up shooting and killing her. Um, and so they took her body and dumped it uh, four hours north, right across the highway from her hometown, which oh they they didn't know. Right. Um, but that was the cell tower records taking them out of town. So he we got the confession from the brother that he helped take the body mm-hmm. clean up the clean up the car they drove it out of town they cleaned up the house they they basically like spackled and painted the house and cleaned up all the the sheetrock and then they flushed the casings and then they set a slow burn in the house with an arson case um, that the apartment burned down later that night when they were not there. It -hmm. was a, it was an incredibly complex case. So we kind of broke that wide open Mm -hmm. um, and David ended up leading us to her body in the spring. And it was almost a year to the day that we found her body um, in the gravel pit where they had dumped her Mm -hmm. and the family was able to identify the remains. Um, And I remember going in to Talkeetna and traveling with the detective and the attorneys on the case that helped break that open, and I was just an intern. I just had this small little part, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and but I was there for the whole thing, and it was it, it became this this thing that's bigger than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went to her funeral, that was a year after her disappearance, and the closure that that family had in understanding what happened to her yeah. and finding her and being able to give peace and closure. Um, yeah. And the hugs that we got and the conversations we had and the emotions that we saw in being able to find justice for that family, yes. um, it changed the entire course of my life. Yeah. And from then on, I said, I am going to be a voice for the victims, mm-hmm. for the people who cannot stand up for themselves, the people who cannot be there to make it happen for themselves. It is a prosecutor's job. It is the judicial system's job. It is law enforcement's job. It is not the victim's job to prosecute them their own abuser yeah and so from then on that changed my perspective in life so that particular case it ended up on i think it's on like 2020 or dateline or something like that it was a really cool case but my small part in it changed where i went and i think that that's probably why i was interested in domestic violence i think that's kind of what drew me into changing the world
0: fantastic story thank you yeah um, when I want, how did you then? Did you ever see yourself? So you wanted to be a prosecutor.
1: <laughs> when I went to law school, yeah. You want
0: to be a prosecutor? That was
1: right before. That was the spring before I went to law school. That fall, I went to law school. Wow. Yeah.
0: And then, so now you're a prosecutor. Yeah,
1: I started prosecuting directly out of law school in 2008.
0: Okay. Yep. You did that for a number of years.
1: Yeah, several years. Yeah.
0: The judge in, uh, you know, position four is retiring. Yes. What made you decide to run for judge?
1: (laughs) It's this domestic violence court. Um, I wouldn't be running for office if that bench was not open. And and I think that that court is so specialized. It is so special. Mm -hmm. We have created something so unique, and it is so important that we continue that work. Um, It really needs to be somebody who knows why we do the bond conditions that we do, why we do the protective orders that we do, mm-hmm. the conditions on those, why we have the dockets that we have and the length of time, um, how we handle the um, different aspects of um, the case as it moves through the system. We need to have somebody who understands the link with law enforcement, the advocacy, um, organizations that we work with. So I think whoever becomes the judge of that court mm-hmm. needs to be somebody who knows and understands why we do what we do and not just what we do.
0: But originally, uh, my little birds out there tell me that you didn't want to do it, that no. people had to ask you, <laughs> so you're doing no, this, right? I,
1: no, I mean, running for office in this uh, county, is uh, the politics are just... just completely different animal and I am not a political creature um so
0: Aristotle (laughs) would disagree
1: (laughs) right well Montgomery County politics maybe um in particular but no I've I've watched politics in this county I've watched the political races um and and I think in this country it is so right now it is such a hotbed of dissension Mm -hmm. and and discord and it it's It's really such a negative thing, and I think that politics were created to be adversarial. Sure. Um, And and the criminal justice system is adversarial, so Mm -hmm. in in that sense, I'm you know, it's like okay, well, I already do part of that.
0: I have a rule. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to quote the late great Ralphie Zacharias here. He said, "Don't sling mud. Two things happen when you sling mud: you get your hands dirty, and you lose a lot of ground." Yes.
1: (laughs) Very well said. Um, and so I think it was the political thing, you know, as a prosecutor, they have always asked us to keep a low political profile. Mm -hmm. Don't put out controversial things and and don't put yourself to where you look biased or where you look like you would not be able to be fair in a situation. Mm -hmm. Um, not that I'm the person that ever would do that anyway. Um, but you know, we followed that premise and, and, and just really as a steward of what we do, sure. we keep that low, you know, and i want to protect my family from the public eye. You of know? course. And so, um, running for office, you have to flip that script, um, to the opposite. Right. To show yourself off and, and I'm not a big show off. I really like to just. Fly under the radar and do my job and do the best I can. Sure, it's, easy, it's easier that way. Yeah, <laughs> um, but um, but then but, once you become in uh, office as mm-hmm. a judge, you have to go back to being neutral, right? And so, so really, it's just this space of time.
0: What I always appreciate is, you know, when I'm, you know, I maybe this is a secret. The a lot of people don't know about me, but, uh, you know, I have a intelligence background from the military. Uh, in 2009, I was in Iraq as an interrogation analyst. So I'm pretty skilled when I want to flip the switch on, you know, picking up where, whether a person's genuine or not. And like, I totally get from you that you're a genuine person when you say, especially (laughs) like the, the other places that I've heard you speak about how, you really didn't want to do this no. and other people had to ask you <laughs> yes echo you need to do this
1: yes i talked myself out of it a couple of times yeah. before people kept coming back to me and saying hey you're gonna run for county court four right and i'm like no i am not a politician and they're like but we need you and, so, and yeah. that <laughs> is what i
0: wanted to highlight because you know for, for you know in politics you see so many people that are like well i'm the best i've ever seen and of course i should be doing this and yeah. like to me it it speaks volumes to the character of the candidate when they are pursued by a bunch of people and asked right. hey you we want you to do it right that that is a defining line yeah. that i think needs pointed out more and more in american politics and yeah. so when i That's when i exactly heard that
1: how it came about too.
0: <laughs> so i wanted to highlight that yeah. about you because yeah. i think that that is special and it's unique and uh you know before we uh close here i want to talk about one last thing speaking of, uh the uniqueness um as i said it, it almost seems like you were created <laughs> you know <laughs> Uh, by the hand of Providence for this job. And, you know, so real quick, tell everybody in Montgomery County, you know, why they should vote for Echo Hudson for this job Mm -hmm. and what makes you so unique, uh, uh, uniquely qualified for this position.
1: So I don't know that there's anyone who has the domestic violence background that I have in this county. Um, I know this court from the inside. I helped create the docket. Mm -hmm. Um, I helped run it. I helped develop it into the success that it is. It is crucial that this court continue. um, And to achieve the success that we have, it's not going to be just the judge. It's going to be a collaboration. Um, And so I have worked my entire career here, dedicated to Montgomery County. I've been a public servant. Mm -hmm. I'm on call 24-7 to law enforcement for domestic violence cases. Mm -hmm. And the reason why, I don't get paid for that. Um, I, I do it. On a voluntary basis, because um, it's important that we do it right in Montgomery County. It's important to the victim at 1230 in the morning who called for help. And when law enforcement calls and says, I have a case and I need to run this down to you and I need to make sure that we get her into shelter, I need to get her into medical care, that the right person for the job is there. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be able to put someone in the position that I'm doing right now as the chief of the domestic violence division. I'm going to be able to train them. Brett Liggan is fantastic, um, and so he's going to put qualified personnel there. What is left open right now with the potential for, um, you know, not doing well is this judicial bench. Mm-hmm. And if the right person doesn't come in who understands all of the things that go into this court, then we're leaving it open to changes that um, might be blunders, and, mm-hmm. and it will definitely be detrimental. So in running for this position, I am the only person that has been working at, um, for this entire time. And so it's just, to me, it's, it's my baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really, um, you know, the, the, the lifeblood of, um, of what we've created. And so, um... I don't know what else God has in store for me, but right now I know that that is the place where I'm supposed to be going and I'm supposed to be making it bigger. Mm -hmm. I want to expand it. I want to take what we've learned. I want to use it as an example across the country. I want to teach other courts how to do this. I want to teach and train just like I've been doing. I teach nationally right now. Mm -hmm. I'm a recognized expert in the field of domestic violence. Um, And so I want to take what I have learned here. And it's been it's been things that i've learned just as we do yeah right i didn't set out to become the chief of the domestic violence division i didn't set out to become county court for a judge mm-hmm. i set out to do the right thing and i'm going to continue to do the right thing no matter what happens and so at the end of the day this is bigger than me mm-hmm. and it is bigger than what it is right now and it needs to be bigger because it's so successful and so all i want is to be able to be that small part Mm -hmm. that changes the trajectory of someone else's life the way that my life was changed
0: well said echo hudson thank you so much for joining us on the show today we really appreciate you coming and we really i personally really appreciate the passion that you've shown thank you yeah thank Thank you so
1: much much for having me this is so great i love this this setup and i love what you guys are doing here so thank you for the opportunity thanks for asking me such nice questions (laughs) my pleasure
0: yeah We'd like to thank, once again, Docline Studios for hosting us, and uh, we will see you next time when we will be hosting another one of your uh, potential colleagues, uh, John Halfley, um, oh, for who's running for county court of law number one.
1: Yes, excellent. Thank, thank you again. Thank you.
0: Yeah. All right.